Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. If you'll take your scriptures in hand and turn with me to Genesis chapter 41, Genesis chapter 41, we are continuing our series in the life of Joseph called Advancing Through Adversity, because sometimes, you know, adversity can just stop us and discourage us and, and deter us and, and defeat us. But God really wants to use uh, those adverse circumstances to advance us to his goodwill and purpose. Today's message is titled Proven by Power and Prosperity. How many of you know what it is to be enrolled in the school of hard knocks? Any of you ever attended that school? Amen. <laughs> I think most of us have. Uh, you know, we, we, we may have a high school diploma. We may have a college degree. We may even have a master's or a doctorate. But there are certain lessons that cannot be learned from a book. They can only be learned through hardship and trials. But there are also some lessons that can only be learned through success. In the time of success, Will we remain faithful to God or will we forget him? Will we give God the glory or will we be lifted up in pride? To this point in our study of Joseph, most of his experience have been difficult. They have been trials. They have been um, circumstances of, of, of um, difficulty and, and, and testing. He's had to withstand rejection, cruelty, and false accusation. But as we noted la last week, there came a turning point when what seemed like almost suddenly, but it wasn't really suddenly because God was working all along to move him to this point. But in Joseph's experience, it might have seemed suddenly because in the morning he was in prison and by the afternoon he was like the prime minister of Egypt. So sometimes, you know, God is working in our life all along, but we can't see him because we're looking for the end product. But God is really there moving step by step to get us to this point. But we may think he's forgotten about us or he's abandoned us because we don't see the end product. But after the passing of almost 17 years in the school of hard knocks, God moves what, what appeared to be suddenly. And Joseph is summoned to a place of prominence that had been foretold in his dreams when he was a teenager, that God would lift him up to a place of leadership and that even his parents and his uh, siblings would bow down to him. Read with me, if you will, Genesis chapter 41. We're going to read verses 37 through 52. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. Remember, Pharaoh had a dream he couldn't interpret. And uh, in prison, Joseph had interpreted the dreams for two of Pharaoh's servants, and they came out just like Joseph interpreted. So suddenly, when Pharaoh has this troubling dream, uh, the king's cupbearer remembers Joseph and says, there's this guy I met in prison, and he can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh calls for him. Joseph is able to interpret the dream, of course, by God's hand. And uh, not only does he interpret the dream, but God gives him wisdom as to what to do in response to the dream. There was going to be uh, seven years of abundance in harvest and seven years of terrible famine. And Joseph says, so the thing you need to do is that during the years of abundance, you need to store up 20% of the harvest so that during the seven years of famine, you'll have sufficient uh, to provide for the people. And so this really, you know, was a, a word of wisdom that Pharaoh acknowledged. And he says, uh, uh, you know, who else 
Who else has the answers? So in verse 38, it says, So Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dream to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. Boy, that could really inflate somebody's ego, right? But Joseph knew that he was not the source of that answer. He knew that it was God that was the source of that answer. Verse 40, you will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. From prison in the morning to second in command in Egypt in the evening. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zaphonath, Panea. He also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. She was the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he began to serve in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. As predicted, for seven years the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. Everybody loves to cheer for an underdog, right? And, and, and the story of Joseph is really the story of an underdog who becomes a top dog. Amen. He was, you know, sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused of rape and imprisoned. So here's this underdog. And then suddenly he's the top dog. And, and God has really promoted him because of his faithfulness. And, and Pharaoh, who is the absolute ruler of Egypt, regarded by his subjects as a god, because in those days they worshipped uh, their rulers, um, declares that that Joseph will rule almost like his vice regent, like a, like a co-heir or co-king with unchallenged authority. And the transfer of power is accomplished with several acts designed to impress the people. So first Pharaoh puts a signet ring on Joseph's finger and that was the, the seal of royal authority. So this ring could be used to sign any document and it would be as if Joseph was the authority of the Pharaoh. He had the authority of the Pharaoh. Second, Joseph is given a wardrobe befitting a king. He's put with fine uh, linens and a gold chain uh, around his neck, and it probably uh, was reminiscent of the early days when he was back home uh, uh, in his house, and he was the favored son, and his father had made him a special robe of many colors, and, and he could stand out, and everybody knew this was dad's favorite, but now uh, he's God's favorite in a way, you know, and so he has been uh, promoted in this way. And then thirdly, Joseph is given a chariot with bodyguards that go before him and clear the way and command everybody to kneel down in the presence of Joseph, the, the new prime minister of Egypt. Putting this all in 21st century language, Joseph goes from being a convict to being a prime minister, wearing custom suits and riding in a chauffeur-driven limousine by evening. Isn't that an amazing turnaround? God is the God of turnarounds. Amen. Amazing turnarounds. And, and, and you have to stop and think, what was Joseph thinking 
in those moments and in those hours when this turnaround was taking place? Was he weeping as he remembered the pain of the preceding decade and, and all that he went through to get to this point? Maybe. But one thing I'm certain, Joseph was thinking, praise God for his faithfulness because God gave me a dream when I was a teenager and God has kept his word. Amen? Uh, there's a clue a few verses later that reveals really Joseph's state of mind to us, and we're going to get there in a few moments. But this story carries so many faith lessons for everyone uh, uh, about the power uh, uh, and prominence um, that, that God uses in our life to test us. Because just like adversity and difficulty can test us, power and success can test us as well. How many of you know that? Amen. The first thing I want us to see is we need to let God be God and trust him in the waiting room of life. We all go through waiting rooms in our spiritual journey. And impatience is one of the greatest hindrances to us spiritually. I, and I will, I will be open and honest with you today. I hate waiting. I hate waiting rooms. There are few things in life that irritate me more than just sitting around waiting for someone else to be ready for me. So I schedule, for instance, my appointments with doctors or car repair shops for first thing in the morning, even if I have to be there at seven o'clock in the morning, but I want to get in there first thing so I can get out before there's a backup, you know, because if you've ever had an afternoon doctor's appointment, you know, by the time that, that they're ready for you, it's like an hour and a half you've been waiting because they're backed up with all of the other. But if you're first thing in the morning, you get in, you get out, and that saves the waiting. Impatience is definitely not a good thing when it comes to God's timing. Because when, when you're waiting on God, there's nothing you can do to speed up the process. All you can do is trust the process. And for his own reasons, God sometimes allows us to sit in the waiting room of life. And sometimes we're sitting in the waiting room of, of life so long that it may seem like, hey, God, have you forgotten me? You know, have you ever done that? You've been sitting maybe in a doctor's office and an hour has passed by and you go up to check in the window and you're like, hey, did you forget that I have an appointment that I'm waiting? You know, and sometimes we may feel that way with God. We may say, hey, God, have you forgotten me? Because nothing seems to be happening. Nothing seems to be moving. It seems like it's dead time. But waiting in faith teaches us to trust God, even when we can't see him or understand what he's doing. Joseph spent probably about 14 to 17 years in a waiting room with his life on hold, or so it seemed. In reality, God was putting him through school. This young man, born in privilege as his father's favorite, was learning to endure hardship. He was learning to take responsibility. He was learning to manage. He was learning to plan and persist. He was learning humility and dependency on God. When he was developed at the right time, God called him from the place of the waiting room to a place of prominence. I said it a couple weeks ago, sometimes we think we are ready for what God has for us, but we're not ready. It's kind of like the two disciples that came to Jesus and said, when you come into your kingdom, master, have us to sit on the right hand and on your left. 
Give us positions of leadership, of, 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 of prominence. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they're like, yes, master, we can. They didn't realize the cup he was talking about was death. And they weren't able to drink that cup because what happened the night that they came to arrest Jesus? They all fled. Peter followed for a little while, but that night, three times, somebody asked him, are you one of his followers? And he's like, I don't even know the man. So, you know, they certainly weren't ready to drink that cup. So sometimes we can think we're ready for what God has for us, but we're not ready. And so we have to go through that waiting room, which is a time of preparation, a prime of preparation. And you know, some of you may be right on the edge of God's promotion for you. You may be nearing graduation from the school of hard knocks. You might be right at the brink of God bringing his promises to fulfillment in your life. The question is, are you staying faithful in the waiting room? Because if you don't stay faithful in the waiting room, you'll never see the fulfillment of what God has for you. Joseph was blessed in so many ways, even while he was in the waiting room because God's hand was upon him and he prospered in whatever he was doing. But then Joseph was blessed when God brought that promotion. And he was blessed in other ways beyond receiving a signet ring and, and a royal robe and a gold chain. He was given a new name. To us, it's a really weird name. I don't see anybody running out anytime soon to name their kid Zaphineth Panea. If anybody's planning on having more kids, put that at the top of your list for the next boy that you have. But to the Egyptians, that name was a really important name. It was a real statement. Joseph was named in the Egyptian language, the revealer of secrets, or quite literally in Egyptian, God speaks. God speaks. Why? Because God had shown up through Joseph. God had spoken through Joseph and, and revealed Pharaoh's dream and revealed a plan with wisdom of how to respond to that dream. So all of the people recognize God is speaking through this man. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if the world today would recognize God speaking through each of us? not just through pastors, but through each of us, so that when you're at work, God can give you a word for someone who is going through a trying time, and they recognized, wow, this is not just their word. This, this is God speaking through them, God giving answers through them. That's what God wants to happen through us. But in addition to a new name, Joseph was also given a wife. Some of you are saying, I've been waiting on my spouse, Jesus. I'm ready. Give him now. <laughs> but he was given a wife, and not just any wife, but a prominent woman. She was named after an Egyptian god, and she was the daughter of an Egyptian priest. So Athanath is a woman of prominence, and um, her father was a priest of one of the largest cities, a prominent city in Egypt. So Joseph gets the in, he gets the connection right away because he's now married to a woman of prominence giving joseph a wife of such stature 
was a great honor to him. So now you see, after all these years of suffering, you're seeing now all of these blessings beginning to roll in. Then uh, this son of Jacob, this dreamer that had this dream from a teenager that God would raise him up, uh, this favored son uh, of a wealthy but obscure Palestinian sheik, rises to the pinnacle of power in Egypt, the greatest nation in that area of the world in that time. You know, in Philippians, Paul reminds us that he knew how to be both empty or abased and how to abound. He knew how to live with want and how to live with plenty. And he said, because I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. So what Joseph teaches us is that we have to learn to trust God in the times of want and in the times of plenty, in the time of trial, as well as in the time of blessing, we need to learn to trust God, to look to him to be our help, to look to him to be our supply. And when the time of blessing comes, we always need to remember to give thanks to God for his blessings and to use his blessings for his glory and honor. Like he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you to make you a blessing to the nations of the earth. When we're blessed, with more than we need, then God holds us accountable to use it to advance his kingdom. However, there's a, a unique challenges and temptations that come with power and with prosperity. And most of those temptations are centered in pride. You know, when, when they're lauding Joseph with all of this praise, they give him the name of a God and says, you know, he's the, God speaks through him. He's the revealer of secrets. And, and, um, and Pharaoh says, there's no one else as intelligent or as wise as Joseph. Man, you speak into some people's life like that and suddenly their head begins to grow and you have to take the roof off for them to fit, you know, because they just get big headed about it. But not Joseph. He remained humble. And we do well to keep a humble heart before God because we need to recognize that we are what we are by the grace of God and any gift or ability that we have, it is by the grace of God. We owe it all to him. So the, the first principle that we look at here is let God be God and trust him in the waiting rooms of life because there's going to come a day, day when that door to that waiting room is going to open and God is going to lead you through to the fulfillment of his promise. Second principle, remain faithful to God when the fulfillment comes. Don't turn your back on God when God turns your circumstances for good. The wisdom writer addresses this problem when he prays to God to not let him have so much abundance that he disowns the Lord and says, who is the Lord? That can happen. You know, God said it to Israel as well when he was leading them up into the promised land. He said, once you have eaten of the land and you have built houses and you're prospering and you're successful, don't forget that I am the Lord that delivered you from Egypt, that I am the Lord that took you through the wilderness and fed you with manna and gave you water from the rock, and I am the God that defeated your enemies in this land to give it into your hand. What God was saying, when you prosper and you become successful, don't forget that you owe it all to me, that you owe it all to me. So blessings of power and prosperity can be a real test of faith and character as too many people forget God when the blessings come. But Joseph never forgot his God in the good times or in the bad times. 
And we see that in Genesis 41, verses 50 and through 52. It says, during this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. So the names that Joseph gives to his sons actually reveals Joseph's heart. That even in the years of plenty, amidst the glamour of Egyptian royalty, Joseph remembers the source of his blessings. He names his first son Manasseh, that is derived from the Hebrew word to forget. And why would he call his son such a strange name? Can you imagine naming your child forget? Forget, come here, take the trash out, <laughs> you know. But he names him Forget because God was erasing the pain of the past with the blessings of the present. Those awful experiences of almost being killed by his brothers, being thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, being falsely accused of rape, all of those awful experiences, God was erasing them. He was taking away the sting of the pain of his past. Joseph still had no full explanation of why he went through all of those things, but he was willing to let it go and rejoice in the moment. You know, sometimes we'll never understand why the path to get us to where God wanted us to go had to pass through places of pain. I'm sure each of you here today, there are places of pain in your past. But that was a part of your journey to get you to where you are today. You know, a part of my journey was losing my brother to leukemia when he was 17 years old. But it was through that pain of loss that my family was first introduced to the gospel. It was through that loss that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and a couple months later was called to the ministry when I was filled with the Spirit. Now, Certainly we could suggest to God, God, did it have to be that way? Couldn't you have done it some other way? But it's like God said to, to Job, when Job questioned him about his own suffering, he was like, Job, were you there when I created the world out of nothing? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Can you tell me how I did it? If you can't, then who are you to counsel me? Who are you to tell me how I should do my business? Amen. So, you know, sometimes we'd like to give God suggestions or we'd like to say to God, God, I don't, you know, you shouldn't have let me go through this or, you know, but the Bible says God is perfect in all of his ways. God doesn't make any mistakes. He knows everything that he's doing and he does it well. And so we have to learn how to trust him. So Joseph had learned how to trust God and say, you know what, God, I'm sure there was a purpose in the pain because it brought me to where I am. And now you have erased that pain. You have enabled me to forget that pain because you have brought to fulfillment your promise. What a powerful word for us. If we stay faithful to God through the hard times, he will turn our circumstances around. He will bless us in such abundance that we will forget the pain of our past. But the question is, are we willing to let go 
of the pain of our past. Because sometimes even though God is blessing us, we're holding on so much to the pain that we can't even recognize the blessings of God to give him thanks. We have to come to a place where we just surrender it to God. We have to come to a place where we are willing to forget those who have wronged us. Notice what Joseph said. Uh, uh, you know, he said, God has enabled me to forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. So what he's saying, you know what? I just released them into your hands. They did me wrong. They tried to kill me. They sold me into slavery. But you know what, God? I released them into your hands. You deal with them. But I'm not going to let them hold me captive to that pain any longer are you willing to set aside your desire for explanations so you can enjoy the blessings of God in your life today instead of holding God hostage to say explain to me why you made me go through that or you allowed me to go through that are you willing to say Lord I trust you that you had a plan and a purpose and I thank you for your blessings in my life today I talk with men and women all the time who are locked in to the pain of their past. They will not see the blessings of the present because they are so consumed with yesterday. How sad. They're allowing the pain of their past to rob them of the joy and the peace of God's blessing today. Joseph thanked God for his blessings and said, God made me to forget. God made me to forget. Every time he spoke to his firstborn son. Every time he called his firstborn son's name, forget, he was saying, thank you, God, for enabling me to forget the pain of my past. And then comes Joseph's second son, and he names him Ephraim. Ephraim, and it's derived from a Hebrew word that means double fruit or double blessing. And even in his greatest prosperity, Joseph remembered the source of his blessings. God has given me a double blessing. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. You know what? In the place of your greatest suffering, God can bring forth the greatest blessing. Joseph suffered for many years in Egypt, being imprisoned in Egypt. But in that place of his suffering, God turned things around and he brought about abundant blessing in Joseph's life. Some of our greatest blessings come out of the place of our suffering, out of the place of our pain. If God blessed you in great abundance, would you remember that he is the source of your blessing or would you fall into that trap of pride that has taken so many people, so many successful people, that they forget their God and turn their back on him. The classic Christian writer J. Oswald Sanders wrote, not every man can carry a full cup. Sudden eleva elevation frequently leads to pride and a fall. The most exacting test of all to survive is prosperity. It's prosperity. For every Joseph who remembers the God of their salvation, there are 10 Nebuchadnezzars who forget the source of their blessing. Remember the ancient king of Persia who God lifted him up and he became exceedingly rich and powerful? And in the middle of his reign, he got lifted up in pride. And in Daniel 4.30, it says, he looked at his empire and he thought to himself, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as my royal residence? By my mighty power, and for the glory of my majesty. And the Bible tells us that God heard that boast 
and quickly responded with judgment. Shortly after King Nebuchadnezzar made that boast, the king went insane. And he began living in the field like a beast. And he grew hair all over and his fingernails were very long. And he was walking, uh, crawling around on the ground. For seven years, he lived in his delusion like a wild animal. Until he humbled himself and recognized the Lord. Then God restored his sanity and restored him to the place as king. But it all came when Nebuchadnezzar changed his attitude. And this became his boast in Daniel 4.37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So when Nebuchadnezzar finally humbled himself and said, God, I recognize you as the king who is on the throne. That's when God restored him. We need to remain faithful in the good times and in the bad times. And we need to remember to honor God in the time of blessing, recognizing that every blessing comes from his hand. We need to remain humble when life lifts us up. You know, humility is, is an often maligned and misunderstood quality of character. It's not very prized in our society today. Many people think that to be humble is to be weak or despised or ignorant or poor or oppressed. But Joseph's life should challenge all of those false assumptions. He was at the pinnacle of power and prosperity, and yet he remains humble before God. Joseph's years of humbling submission as a slave and as a prisoner prepared him to be able to handle power and success and not allow it to corrupt his character. Who knows, but if that promotion had come to him too early, if he would not have been lifted up in pride. Because remember when he was a teenager and God gave him those visions, what did he do? He immediately ran out and told his brothers, hey, guess what God said? One day you're going to bow down to me. And you know, it was probably some youthful pride or youthful arrogance there. And God had to break him of that. And it was through those hardships that Joseph was humbled. So if he had gotten into that position too soon as, as Pharaoh's second hand, he could easily have been corrupted by pride. But humility is having an honest estimate of ourselves. That we don't feel like we need to impress anybody because we recognize that whatever success we have achieved, we have achieved it by the hand of God. Pride is not solely the downfall of the rich and powerful, however. Some of the most intensely proud people are those whose lives have the least in terms of accomplishment and honor. And so their pride makes them defensive and, and quick to take offense at others and, and, and quick to try to cover their deficiencies because they have a sense of inadequacy that they cover with pride. And conversely, of course, there are people of great accomplishment and success who make no show of their wealth or achievements. You probably wouldn't even know that they're wealthy because they walk in such humility at peace with themselves, at peace with the world, not having to prove anything to anybody. They walk in humility. So pride is not necessarily the, the, the bane of the rich and powerful. It can also be the bane of the poor and downcast. But lasting power comes to those who are truly humble and who are raised up by God. Joseph 
though he was a foreigner in Egypt with no connections, had the most important connection, the connection with God. And God lifted him up to a place of power and prominence. And then he held on to that place because he remained in close fellowship with God, who is the one who had lifted him up to that place. Long after the famine had passed, Joseph remained in favor with Pharaoh. Other nobles came and went, but Joseph, a true servant of God, stayed right where God wanted him. And that's what we need to learn to do, is to stay where God wants us, to stay humble, to recognize that God is the source of all of our blessings, and to trust God in all circumstances, the good and the bad, that God has a plan, and God will fulfill his purpose. I ask you tonight, are you in a waiting room of life? Does it seem like God has forgotten you? I encourage you to renew your commitment in the Lord. Don't give up on him. Don't give up on yourself. Trust the Lord. Trust the process. He knows what he's doing. Maybe God is using the waiting room to prepare you by teaching you integrity and humility just as he did to Joseph. Like Joseph, we need to wait in faith on the Lord until the plan of God unfolds and becomes evident. Or have you been blessed with unique abilities, success, resources, op our opportunities. Don't hide it. Stay humble, but remember God is the source and use whatever God has blessed you with responsibly for his purpose and for his glory to be a blessing to others because we are blessed to be a blessing. I want to close with a, a paragraph written by Chuck Swindoll. And he said, God is raising up Josephs in this generation. May you continue to walk with him. May you generously use your affluence and authority for his glory and your influence and success to make his word known. The Christian is not always afflicted, not always the object of hatred and or persecution. Some, by the grace of God, are thrust into roles of honor and leadership. We need such leaders. Folks, we need godly leaders today. And I believe God wants to raise people up from within his church to be those leaders. He goes on to say, God can use our authority and our abundance and our promotion as he did with Joseph. But before he can, we need to humble ourselves saying, Jesus Christ, I need you. I have all this to account for and I can't take any of it with me. So please use me as you see fit. So let's ask God tonight to use us wherever he places us, to help us to remain faithful in the waiting room and to remain humble when the fulfillment and the promotion comes, to pass the test of success and prosperity, that we will cling to God and remain humble, recognizing him as the source of all of our blessings. Would you stand to your feet and let's make this a fresh commitment in our life. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and there are some people listening to this message that they're in the waiting room of life and they feel like you have forgotten them. But I pray tonight that they might be encouraged by your word and that they would make a fresh commitment to say, Lord, even though I can't see you at work, even though I don't understand why, why nothing seems to be moving, I'm trusting you and I'm trusting the process because you said you had a good plan and a good purpose for my life and you do all things perfectly. And Lord, for some that you are raising up, 
some that you are blessing. Father, we pray that, that our hearts would remain close to you, that our hearts would remain surrendered to you, that we would remain humbled before you, recognizing every success and every blessing has come from your hand. And Father, whatever you bless us with, be it position, be it talent, be it ability, be it success, be it uh, financial prosperity, Father, help us that we might be responsible to use it for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll see you on Sunday. Take care, we love you, New Life. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.